Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. My name is Caleb. You normally see me up here uh, leading worship, but I'm excited that I have the opportunity to uh, bring the Word of God this morning. And I'm going to go ahead and warn you up front, all right, first service saw this, but I preach like I lead worship, so I get really excited, all right? So that's just a warning up front. It's all right for you to get excited too, to clap, cheer, whatever you want, because the Word of God, I believe, has something incredible to teach us today. All right, today we start our summer series called Summer Road Trip. Now, I know we all can probably instantly think of something if I came up and asked you, what is your favorite memory on a summer road trip? For instance, I remember my family. I remember hopping in the back of the Aerostar van and actually laying underneath the seat. Don't know why I did that. Don't know why I didn't sit on the seat, but laying under the seat going to Florida. I remember fishing with my dad. I remember digging a sand or digging a hole in the sand so deep that I thought I was going to reach China, all right? I think that was my parents' way of keeping me occupied. But we all probably have these memories that we can think of instantly. And our goal with this summer series is that we're going to be looking at places in the Bible that God did something amazing. And I want us to create a memory that we then apply to our lives. So today, we're going to start off by looking at the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is located between the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea. And it is the center of many stories in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Bible, it says Jerusalem is where the Spirit of God dwelled through the Ark of the Covenant. Now, in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was the most treasured possession of God's people. Because the Ark of the Covenant is literally where the presence of God dwelled. So what I want us to do is, if you'll grab your Bible and turn over to 2 Samuel... Chapter 6, if you don't have your Bible, you might have your smartphone, you might have an iPad with the Bible app on it. That's great, pull that out. If you don't, the uh, scriptures will be up on the screen for us. But let me give us a little historical background before we jump into reading 2 Samuel chapter 6. In 1 Samuel, we see the Philistines, who are the arch enemy of the Israelites, they have captured the Ark of the Covenant. They took it. But they didn't have it for too long, only a couple months, because, like I said, that is where the presence of God dwelled, and he wasn't happy that they took it. And it says the Philistines started getting tumors, and they started getting diseases, so they sent that thing back. We're like, "Uh uh-uh, all right, we're going to send this back to Israel. But the problem was it didn't get back to Jerusalem. It made it back to Israel, but didn't get back to Jerusalem. From there, we see the Israelites ask God for a king, which was another mistake, because God was their king, but they wanted a king they could see, Alright, so Saul is anointed to be king. He's king for a while. After a few years, he disobeys God, and God tells him that, Saul, your reign over Israel is going to come to an end. And so then a little shepherd boy named David is anointed to be king. Just as a little boy, he was anointed. But during this time, Saul is still king, and he heard about David, and he wasn't happy at all. So for years and years and years, he tried to kill David. And this gets us to the beginning of 2 Samuel. We see that Saul soon dies, and his family wants to take over the throne, but God had anointed David, so David and the family of Saul go to war. And finally, in chapter 5, we see David is made king. This is after 20 years of waiting. Can you imagine being anointed as a little boy, and then you've got to wait 20 years? You've got to wait 20 years for the promise of God to come true? But David remained faithful, and God remained faithful as well in his promise. 
So David, he goes and captures the city of Jerusalem because it had been taken by the enemy, and a palace is built for him there. And now we find ourselves in chapter 6 of 2 Samuel. So we're going to start with verse 1. Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Bala of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart as it left the house, carrying the ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs, and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. The Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. God had made it very clear Do not touch the ark of God. This is my presence. If you touch it, you will die. Uzzah should have listened, all right? David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place Perez Uzzah, as it is still called today. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, How can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David, which is also Jerusalem. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Then King David was told, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and fattened calf, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns. Let's pray. Jesus, you're an amazing God. And I thank you that we can look at your word, the Bible, God, and learn so much. Lord, that we're going to be able to look back at Jerusalem and how David brought the presence of God back to Jerusalem and learn something today. God, I pray that we're all challenged. And Lord, what I pray is that you move me aside. Today, I don't want my words heard. I want your words heard. And God, today I pray you would just open our hearts and open our minds. Lord, to hear what you have to say. Lord, that we would understand that the presence of God is with us. We praise you for who you are. To your name we pray. Amen. So Lauren and I are still trying to figure out this whole parenting thing. Uh, We have a little two and a half month old, our very first child named McKenna, and she's living up to her name, which means joyful one. But I think some of you really should have taken a little more time to tell me how much she would affect my life. All right? Especially my sleep. I love my sleep, okay? But I remember in college, like, I, I hardly slept in college. And now, with a little baby, I somehow sleep less. All right, but I do want to make this point real quick. Praise God, she slept through the night for the very first time last night. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lauren and I woke up and we were freaking out. We're like, what just happened? All right? But for the first, seriously, two months, I slept Terribly. I felt like I was up every five minutes. She was hungry. She needed her diaper changed. 
or, or I was scared. And I'm going to be completely honest with you today. And I think if you have a kid in here, you can probably relate to this. Multiple times, multiple times, seriously. I'd go up to her bed, and I would stare for 10 minutes. I wouldn't move. I'd want to make sure she was breathing. I didn't want to move because then it would throw off my eyes. Like, oh, was that her moving? Okay, that was me moving. So I'd sit there again, 10 minutes, stare at her. Then I'd put my finger under her nose, try not to touch her, see if I could feel her breathing. I'd get as close as I could to see if I could hear. And then, which Lauren doesn't know this, but she's going to find out today, obviously. If I wasn't confident with how I observed McKenna, I'd poke her. Make her move real quick. I'm like, okay. Then she wakes up and you know the rest from there, all right? I know some of you are laughing at me right now, but you know you did the same thing too. You would stare at your kids and you probably still do. I probably still am as well. But I didn't sleep good until we finally got this beautiful invention, and most of you probably know what this is, the baby monitor, all right? This thing is awesome, all right? It's got a camera with it that I can literally see McKenna anytime I want. All right, now it took me a while to get used to this thing because I made the mistake of turning the volume on max the first night, sitting by the bed, and when your child cries with the volume on max, I promise you will fly out of that bed faster than you ever had in your life. It was like a sonic boom cry. All right, so I've now learned, I've turned it down. But Lauren and I, we now sleep so much better knowing that at any point we can look at McKenna. We can see her. We can see her breathing. And, and this thing is incredible. I mean, honestly, technology nowadays is just amazing because not only can I see her, I can hear her. And it's got a microphone on it. I mean, I can talk to her. We haven't done that yet, but, but you can talk to me like, McKenna, go back to sleep, please. All right? And then I'm like, please, just go back to sleep. You're like crying. All right? But this thing's incredible. And it goes everywhere with us. So now when she's asleep, it's like she's eating dinner with us because she's right there. All right? She's sitting with us. It's like she watches TV because the monitor's sitting right there with us. I've gotten used to the noise in the background watching TV. It kind of enhances Sports Center for me, okay? It's sitting there, and I can always see her. And I had this thought that this is a direct connection to her when I cannot physically be in the room with her. But I still know she's there. That I can still see her. I can still hear her. And also I just thought that it would be crazy of me to not use this. I knew that I wasn't going to sleep well without it. I knew that I couldn't hear, I knew I couldn't see her, so it would be crazy of me if this thing was sitting there and I chose not to use it, or I turned it down, or I tuned it out. And now as a parent, I'm starting to think this way, that this monitor is a lot, we can look at it almost a lot like the presence of God. That God, His presence is designed that we can see its effects. It's designed that we can hear God. And he wants us to talk to him. You see, does that make sense? The presence of God is for us to use. It's not just to sit here and to turn the presence of God off in our life, to tune it out, to not look at it. God is saying, no, I want to see you, and you should want to see me. That I want to hear from you, and I want you to hear from me. That I want to talk to you, and I want you to talk to me. 
You see, in my studying, I found the most common Hebrew word for presence is panim, which is translated face, which means the presence of God is equal to the face of God. Did you catch that? The presence of God is equal to the face of God, meaning he wants a close, personal relationship with us. That is what he wants. He wants us to hear him. He wants us to see him. He wants us to talk to him. But looking at where the Israelites are at in the story we just read, they didn't understand God's presence. They didn't understand it. After all he had done for them, I mean, God had led them out of bondage in Egypt. He led, his presence led them by a cloud and a pillar of fire then led them through the desert to the promised land that he promised them. After all that he has done for them, they still had a tendency to tune out the presence of God or to turn it off. You know, as I stated earlier in the Old Testament, the presence of God dwelled in the Ark of the Covenant. And the way they had tuned it out is instead of bringing the Ark of the Covenant, which had literally the presence of God in it, to their city, they let it sit in some dude's house outside the walls. I mean, you think after everything, go, man, the presence of God led us by a pillar of fire one time. The presence of God did this, 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 this. That they would want it to be close. But they didn't. It wasn't close. And I think we can learn a lot today from how David handled bringing the presence of God into Jerusalem through the Ark of the Covenant. Because you may find yourself in this situation today. You know Jesus, or you're a Christian in here, or you know about Jesus, you know about the Bible, but you struggle to live in the power of God's presence. Or maybe without realizing it, you've tuned out the presence of God. Because He's not going anywhere. The presence of God doesn't go anywhere, but we sometimes can have a tendency to tune it out. Or maybe you're where we've all probably been before, and you say, I love God, I love Him, and I try my hardest, but sometimes I feel like I cannot feel his presence I've been there before I'll be honest oh God I just can't feel your presence and so let's see what we can learn from David today looking at David's story up until this point you may be thinking David's already done so much he's already achieved so many things why isn't he content why isn't he happy I mean this is the same David that literally killed a giant as a boy alright totally different story but he killed a giant He was anointed by a prophet to be king as a boy. He won many battles that had all of God's people singing his name for what he had done. And he had just won Jerusalem back. He had a palace built for him. He had a growing family. He had growing power and a growing kingdom. But he was still not satisfied. So the question today is why? Why wasn't David satisfied? And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I hope you all do take notes today, because I truly believe that God's given us something that we can all apply today. This is why David wasn't content. He wasn't satisfied. Because David knew he had nothing without the presence of God. David knew he had nothing without the presence of God. The presence of God was sitting so close. It's in some guy's house outside the city. And David wasn't going to let it sit there any longer. You see, David knew to be successful as king, he needed God's presence. So we see that one of the first things David did was go get the Ark of the Covenant. 
David understood the importance of the presence of God and made it his priority. He wasn't going to let another day pass without going and getting the Ark of the Covenant because he knew the presence of God changes everything. See, on paper, I mean, I just keep going back to this. On paper, David had everything he needed to be a successful king. On paper, he was the man. He had the talent. He was considered to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest warrior of all time. Everyone knew not to mess with David. And not only was he a warrior, but he was also a songwriter. If David lived now, his songs would be on top of the charts. He'd be winning all the awards. The Bible says that David had the looks. It says he was a good speaker. He had good judgment. In the talent-driven world we live in, David would have instantly got the job just by his resume. Anywhere he walked in, here's my resume, you're hired. All right? That is who David was. And now, on top of all this incredible talent, David now has the title of king. So now he has the talent, and he has the title. David's living the dream, right? He's got everything he needs. But I want us to all hear this. This is so important. David realized title and talent can only take you so far in life, but the presence of God gives your life eternal significance. Please tell me you caught that. Title and talent can only take you so far in life. But the presence of God gives your life eternal significance. David knew he couldn't rule a successful kingdom just because of his strength. He knew he couldn't rule a successful kingdom because of his songwriting. David knew that he couldn't rule a successful kingdom just because people were supposed to call him king. He knew he needed the presence of of God. Title and talent will always have limitations, but the presence of God is limitless. We serve a big God. You see, David had the title, David had the possessions, but more than all of that, he wanted and needed the presence of God. You see, success is something that we probably all think about a lot. It's not bad to want to be successful. And we all probably have certain ways we define success, and the world tells us that you have to have possessions, you have to have the title, you have to have the talent, and all these different things. But David knew that success was not defined by his fame or fortune. It wasn't defined by his new palace. It wasn't defined by his strength. Success was defined by the presence of God. You see, it's tough. It is tough in the world we live in. Because the world's telling us that you are defined by your talent at work. And you are defined by your title. Whatever it is. And that if your title isn't big enough, or your talent isn't great enough, then you aren't good enough. But I'm here today to tell you that is a lie from Satan. That is a lie And I think some of you need this encouragement today. Because at the end of your life, success isn't driven by your title of CEO, associate, president, intern, pastor, co-worker, 
whatever it may be, teacher, waiter, I don't care. It's not defined even by your talent. Like, oh, I'm great at this sport. I can sing like this. I am good at giving speeches. Here's what you need to know. Whether you're a student in here today or an adult, success is defined by how you live in the presence of God with the title and talent God has given you. What title and talent has God given you? And are you living in the presence of God? You see, David realized that this title and talent was from God and that he had nothing without him. So, how can we be like David? One of the first things we're going to do is whatever your title is, follow God's presence. I know what you may be thinking. Yeah, it was easy for David. His title's king. He's the stinking king. Of course he can follow God. Listen to this. God did not only prove himself to David when his title was king, he proved himself to David when his title was shepherd. You see, God doesn't look at David and go, you're king now, I'm going to be closer to you. God looked at the same man who was a shepherd and now the same man who is a king and said, whether you're a shepherd or a king, my presence is still most important. So where are you at in life? Where are you at in life? Because that statement leads us to the following very important question. In your life, do you rely more on your title and talent, or do you rely on the presence of God? You see, the people respected David even more because they knew he sought the Lord while his title was king, but before that, they knew he sought the Lord while his title was shepherd. So do you rely more on your title and talent, or do you rely on the presence of God? Parents, I want us to think about this question. So I've I've thought about this a lot this week. What if our kids respected us, not just because of a title of dad or a title of mom, but what if your kids respected you because of the way you sought after the presence of God? I can't help but think that's the greatest respect Yes, I want my daughter to respect me because she calls me daddy, but more than that, I pray she respects me because of my love for the Lord. Does anybody agree with that? That's my prayer. And you see, before anything else, I, I do pray that people will see us for the presence of God. And I don't only pray this personally, I don't only, pray, don't only pray this for you, but I pray this for our church. For example, you can ask anyone on our worship arts team, I say this a lot to our team when we get up to lead worship, we could have the most talented guitar players, we could have the most talented drummers, the most talented singers in all of the world come up here. But talent does not equal the presence of God when we get up here to lead worship. Talent does not equal worship. What we have to do is we have to take our talent because God has given us all talent. We have to take our talent and say, God, we are doing this because of your presence. We're doing this through your presence. 
You see, that is what separates, for us as musicians, that's what separates music from worship. Our goal is not to get up here and play music on a Sunday morning. Our goal is to get up here and worship the one true God and to bring everyone with us and encounter his presence. That is only done when title and talent are joined together to focus on the presence of God. You see, that that is my prayer, that people would look at us for how they looked at David. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 8, it says, One of the servants said to Saul, One of Jesse's sons, being David, from Bethlehem, is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He is also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. I pray, I pray that is how people will define us. It's okay for them to see us for our talent, but I want them to then say, but the Lord is with them. The presence of God is with them. If our title and talent don't reflect the presence of God, then we're missing it. But we all have that choice every single day to say, God, I want to reflect your presence. Another thing David did. David set the example for seeking God's presence. In 2 Samuel 6, verse 15, it says David assembled all of Israel. It says, So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. Okay, this would have taken a lot to do. This, it said there was over 30,000 troops that came, and that's just troops. It says David gathered all of Israel. Thousands upon thousands of people to go get the ark of the Lord. To go get God's presence. And so this got me thinking, why would David do that? Why would he spend so much time and energy in getting everyone? He understood the importance of leading by example. You see, David wanted all the people of Israel to not only respect his leadership because of his title as king, but he wanted to be respected for his love for God. This is why David did this. Leading by example is the best way of leadership. You see, David could have gotten just a couple guys and said, come on, let's go get the ark of of God. It's sitting in a guy's house. Let's go get it. We'll bring it back. He could have got back, then updated everybody through Twitter. All right, just brought back the presence of God, Jerusalem. Hashtag awesome. Hashtag ark of the covenant. He could have done that. And everybody would have known. But he realized that, that that wasn't the best way to do it. He realized that he had understood the presence of God since a boy. If you look back at the the life of David, he had put an importance on his life, priority in his life on the presence of God, and he wanted the same importance and priority in the people of Israel. He wanted that. He wanted that for his kingdom. He wanted that for his people. And so what he did is he said, Hey, I want everybody to join me. Let's go get the presence of God. Let's bring it back to our city. So again, I started thinking of this. How can we apply this thought to our lives? So let me give you one example. Parents in here. I learned this from this story. It's probably easy to tell your kids, yeah, I love God. I do my quiet time. And that's great. They need to hear that. But let me ask you, if you really want your kids to know something, and you want to teach them something, if you want, if you're, Goal is to raise them up to love the Lord, to teach them to love the Lord. What do you have to do? You have to show it to them. And so I just had this thought. What if you want to do your quiet time in the morning? You're sitting at the 
breakfast table, whatever it is, your kids come down and eat their Cheerios, and they see you doing your quiet time. What if your kids saw you seeking after the presence of God? And then what if, just like David, what if you looked at your kid while they're stuffing their face with Cheerios and said, hey, why don't you join me? I'm not saying take your kid through like a 30-minute understanding of the book of Revelation, okay? All right? I'm saying, I say, what do you think about these two verses? Bring your kids with you. Bring your kids with you. It's going to be the best way for you to teach them to fall in love with God and to seek his presence. That is why David did what he did. Another way David led by example is what we find in 2 Samuel uh, verse 16. I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 13. It says, After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. I had to, I had to look at this for a while. I had to... Research it and study it. Because at first, like when you read it, can you imagine? These dudes pick up the ark. One, two, three, four, five, six. Wait, really? We're stopping? We've got a long way to go. All right? What I found out is steps might be a unit of measurement. No one really knows what it is. It might have been 100 yards, so they might have gone 600 yards and then sacrificed. Whatever it was. But I started thinking about this. Can you imagine the Levite priests... Because remember, the first time they went to get the ark of God, they failed. Because they didn't obey God. God said, do not touch the ark. as literally my presence. You can't handle it. Trust me, you will die. Uzzah dies when he touches the ark. So the second time, can you imagine the Levite priest? They walk up to the ark, and they're like, a rock, paper, scissors to see who touches this thing first. <laughs> One, two, three, shoot. This is how Lauren and I uh, figure out who's going to change McKenna's diapers. All right? But can you imagine, I mean, they, they just saw this guy die, and they're like, i got to pick this thing up. Finally, they pick it up, they're like, whew, not going to die, and then, not even, they haven't even reached their goal, and David says, all right, let's stop. Let's stop right here. Why would he do this? Because David realized it's just as important to follow the presence of God, to celebrate the presence of God, and to trust and to praise him in the process, and not just when you reach your end goal. Why did David understand this? Because he had to wait 20 years to be king. I don't know if I could have waited 20 years. That's a long time. But he had to wait 20 years to be king, and so he wanted the people to see that it is important to follow the presence of God in the process, and not just when what you want is completed. Because we all have goals with our life. We all have something we want to achieve. And it can be hard sometimes to praise God during the process, to follow his presence, knowing that he does have an end goal in mind for us. You see, God told him, Jerusalem is where I want my presence to dwell. So David knew they were going to get there. But he knew he needed to follow the presence of God in the process and not just, I mean, he could have just waited till the end and thrown a huge party which they did essentially, but he also wanted to show the people, follow God every step, not just when you get what you want. But after hearing all this today, you may be thinking, man, Caleb, that's awesome, but I'm not David. I've never killed a giant. I'm not a king. I don't have an ark of the Lord to carry. 
and we don't live in Jerusalem. So, so what am I supposed to do? I, I want you to hear this. This is so important. I want us to all apply it and just soak this in. As Christians, we have the presence of God. If you are a Christian in here today, you have the presence of God. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.16. This is written to the church in Corinth. It says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you not know that you are a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? This was written as a question. Because what happened is the people in Corinth didn't understand the presence of God. Or they had turned it off. Or they had tuned it out. Or they had started relying more on their title and talent than on God's presence. And so they come in and says, wait, time out, time out. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? This temple that your ancestors tell you about? The Spirit of God dwells in you. When your ancestors told you about all the miracles that God did for them to save them, that's the same God that you have today. And I think it's important for us personally, as families, as a church, to understand the Spirit of God dwells in us. The same God that rescued those Israelites, the same God that performed miracles that we read about in the Bible, and we go, man, I wish that happened. It does because that God is alive and He is in us. He dwells inside us. We have the presence of God, and Jesus made this possible through the cross. Jesus made it possible. So let me, let me tell you this. When, I came, when, when this thought just came across, I actually got chill bumps this week when I'm thinking about it. Every single one of us in here today, we have a Jerusalem. Every single one of us. Because God is calling us to carry His presence. God is calling every single one of you to pick up the presence of God and say, I'm going to carry you to my Jerusalem. So I want to ask you, what is your Jerusalem? Is your Jerusalem your home? Is your Jerusalem the place you work as students? Is your Jerusalem your school? Where is Jerusalem? Because God is counting on you. God is counting on us to take his presence and let it change people's lives. Everywhere the presence of God went, it changed something. And I think that as a church, as individuals, we have to wrap our minds around this. The presence of God isn't something to be taken lightly. We see that in the story, Uzzah died. But the presence of God is something that we have that we can use. It says when the presence of God was with the Israelites, they weren't scared anymore. They would carry that thing to battle knowing that God was with them. You have the presence of God. Don't be fooled. You have the presence of God. And I don't care what the enemy throws at you. You know what David did? When Goliath, this giant, came to attack David, Goliath mocks him makes fun of him because David was just a little boy 
And he said, you come at me with dogs. You come at, you come at me with this little boy. I will feed him to the animals. Do you know what David said? David said, you can come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. As a church, it's time for us to look at South Atlanta, to look at Coweta County and say, I come at you in the name of the Lord. Because guess what? As a church, we're called to our Jerusalem. We're called to Noonan. We're called to Peachtree City. We're called to LaGrange. We're called to Coweta. We're called to South Atlanta. And they need the presence of Jesus. So the question today is, are you going to be a carrier of the presence of Jesus and go to your Jerusalem? We all have to ask ourselves this question and let it challenge us. It's time to start, it's time to stop tuning out or turning off the presence of God, letting Him change us and then change our Jerusalem. God's presence changes everything, it really does. If you don't believe me, just try it. He will prove himself faithful. And because we now know this, we can now realize today that God has given us our title and our talent to carry his presence to our Jerusalem. Let's pray.